and hope it works. And if I get complaints on the quality of the recording, I apologize. I forgot the little cable. Um, yeah, so, you know, I went to Nebraska, and uh, it's funny how much you forget, like, when you've been gone for a long period of time. And what's interesting was, uh, for the longest period of time, my wife and I had what we basically was like a 48-hour window of opportunity where we could go to Nebraska without going crazy, okay? And I have conscious memories of on uh, Highway 14 going out of town, not even realizing that I was going like 100 because I just needed to get out of town, right? Um, because, I, you know, that's where my past was, right? And an interesting thing happened this time, and that was that we, that we would literally, I mean, 48 hours in, we were like, we got to go. I don't know why, but we got to go. <laughs> and we joked about it, but it was like, and we would plan ahead, like, well, you know, we got and uh, and so we'd be gone after that, and then we, we wouldn't go home much. And of course, these are all things you regret when your mom dies, right? But so I'm like, this time we're leaving town, and we're like, we kind of were like drawn to. I don't know what to do with this. Uh, it's, it's driving me crazy, but I can't talk about. That was gross. So <laughs> I get a better mic. Wow. I find a better mic stand so we can get a better angle. Better. It's kind of a Billy Joel angle. <laughs> um, but this time I thought something different because we're leaving and my dad, you know, he kind of cries a little bit, which he doesn't do because he's a farm guy. And uh, we're like, gosh, really, we're uh, kind of bummed to leave this time. And what I was, uh, I think what I was bummed the most about was, well, I'll put it this way, like when Moses buried the dude in the in the desert, right? He had it said I think I think it's in chapter three, it said that he was um, that he had seen the affliction of the people, that he wanted bad to do something about it. And so his dream, so to speak, was that was to deliver the people of Israel. But on that day when he buried that guy because he did it wrongly, he screwed it up. He really kind of just buried his dreams there in the desert. Do you know what I mean? Like his hopes and his plans and his dreams were gone. And in chapter 5 of Exodus, which is where we find ourselves, um, Moses was going home. Now his home was nicer than mine. Uh, like being like being the Pharaoh's kid and all. Um, how many of you know that the Pharaoh didn't live like in a pyramid, right? <laughs> like a big revelation that the pyramid was actually a ridiculously large tomb. You know, that was what they buried the Pharaoh. <coughs> but Moses had already been to visit his people, but they weren't his family. Do you know what I'm saying? His family was the Pharaoh. Was, this was his house. And he was going home to a place that he probably recognized that just like my house had been changed with time and, you know, maybe not disrepair like my house was and maybe not as much dust. But uh, that was it. He walked up these steps. And I don't know. I mean, you know, it's hard to say. One day we'll get to sit around and talk to Moses and ask him. But, like, you wonder, was he, like, nervous? Or, like, oh, man, they changed the paint over there. The, the big cat statue is gone and they replaced it with a sphinx. Or, you know, who knows, right? <laughs> what he was thinking. But it says that afterward, after he'd been to the people of Israel and said, look, here's the plan, okay? 
It says that they went to Pharaoh and said, and I love, the Bible is so funny about understating stuff. Like you just kind of skip right over that and you think, it was 40 years ago. You know, I left my house um, in my Oldsmo Buick thing when I was 18. I graduated on a Sunday or Saturday afternoon and I was gone like that night, like I was out of town. I loaded up, like I had my uh, probably Petra, I'm not really sure. Hopefully not Petra. <laughs> But it might have been, if I'm being honest. Um, jamming. And I drove all night. Like, I couldn't get out of there fast enough, you know. And I hadn't killed anything or anybody or anything like that. But I knew, that, like Moses, I was going, I was going to be somebody new. I was finding a new identity. But what I also did when I left was I kind of buried my dreams as well. Like Moses, it was different for him, right, because he killed a dude. And I can't overemphasize enough that I didn't kill anybody. <laughs> I swear. Like, here's how much I didn't kill somebody. My kids, my daughters make fun of me because I'm out there, I get the pictures on Facebook with the, with the, the, the CO2 BB gun, and we're, you know, the, kid, the kids are just having a ball, okay? I got a red squirrel in my sights, okay? Dead to rights. Now I want you to know I've killed many squirrels in my life and not even thought twice about it, okay? Fat under the dogs. <clears throat> kill birds it's just what you do when you're in Nebraska you get nothing else to do so you kill and you feed them to dogs and <laughs> it's what you do don't they have a club or something they, yeah they do uh, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer I think he was in that club um, Ted gets it. Uh, so but the squirrel I mean dead to rights and I couldn't kill it it was so embarrassing. My daughter's like, Dad, just shoot it. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I can't kill the squirrel. He's so cute. So, so I know. Isn't it a shame? And, of course, my Uncle Dave's like, man, I'd have killed it right there. You get him on my roof. And he starts talking about all the sins of the squirrels, right? You know, but I'm like, I couldn't. <laughs> so I, for, for sport, I shot it in the tail. And, it, you, know, you know, so at least I got something. But I did, you know. But when I was a little kid, the, um, you know, I grew up in a, you guys know, somewhat charismatic environment. And it was spoken over me as a little kid that I was going to be a Bible teacher one day. Or he didn't say one day, but that was my gifting. Now I'm in fifth grade. I'm as dumb as a bag of hammers. Um, like any fifth grade kid, you know? That's why kids have parents, because they're dumb. They need, you know, people to keep them from doing dumb stuff, you know? And so... That was spoken over me. And so imagine my surprise, because my dream wasn't that, okay? My, at the time, it was like, I, that's what God had put in me. And, and for a period of time, I kind of thought that. And of course, I thought I was going to be like Kenneth Copeland. I don't know who knows what I thought, right? Um, but I remember as a kid having some of those ideas and what it would look like someday to you know, teach the Bible. And um, of course, again, having no idea what that looked like, I just thought that was cool. But as I got older, it didn't seem so cool anymore. And then I, I kind of replaced God's dream in my life with my own dreams, which is to be a bass player for Bon Jovi, which didn't work out either. And I got the mullet cooking. You know, and I went on, and, and, and like Moses, I went on to this new life. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it was, uh, wasn't God's necessarily dream for me uh, anymore. It was my plans and my desires. And, and, and probably like Moses, I had this whole new... Because, you know, Moses went to the wilderness. He, was, he had a job. He had a career. He had a family. He had a, a, a thing going on. That God had put him there. And even though it wasn't necessarily God's ultimate purpose, God put him there as like, kind of like an incubator. And I think God does that sometimes. He takes us 
He puts the dream in us. He puts this thing inside of us. And then we, whether through our own or whatever, we end up burying it. And, but it's not gone. It's incubating. It's there in the sand waiting, right? And for me, it was really fascinating because I didn't mean to, um, to teach the Bible, so to speak. I, I was a youth pastor at a, a church here in town. And, and I was really good at the, you know, the burping and all that, you know, the stuff that youth pastors do, get a group of bunch of milk and throw up and, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> And, and I loved it. You know, it was great. We'd go on camping trips. And, and, and you know, it was, it was just a lot of fun. And, and one day, somebody in our church decided that they wanted to start this um, college Bible study. They were from Houston. And, and I was really busy. And I said to the pastor, look, if, if you're telling me all i got to do is show up, teach, just give me a Bible, tell me where to stand, and I'll do that. And that'll be, I'm fine to do that. And so we... Uh, we go to Memphis and we study and we get this, I mean, we get this whole launch team, okay, ready to go. And all I'm going to do, it's kind of embarrassing now to look back on it. Um, hi, Shannon, did you bring a Diet Coke? Thank you. <laughs> um, so the first night of this thing, we show up and we were in exercise and not cool, okay, because we got the band, okay. Now in the band, we got... A dude from a famous rock band whom I shall not name, but he played a guitar, okay? Uh, we had a bass player from another, and when I say famous rock band, in their day, do you know what I'm saying? Not necessarily recently, but in a period of time, they were really cool. Just not then. And so, I mean, we're going to, like, it's going to be awesome, right? And so we show up that first night, and there's like 15 people total on the launch team, and all these people are super committed, and it's, uh, we got the guy with the guitar, and, and when I say that like nobody showed up, I'm, I'm pretty sure like nobody did, <laughs> except for the launch team, right? And like we, nobody even invited anybody, we're like everybody, you know. And so, and the guy with the guitar, you know, and... And I don't have to, I guess, tell you that that died a quick and sudden death. And it was like that time, like, everybody jumped into the pool, you know what I'm saying? And you jump in and turn and look, and nobody jumped. It was just you. Well, that was me. I'm just in the pool. And suddenly I am now the organizer, visionary, leader of this Bible study that I didn't know that I was going to do. And, and if you were around in the really, really, really early days... Um, I wasn't very good um, at it. And I would try to do, because I would think, well, you know, you guys are young, you want the three Ds of dating kind of sermons, you know, whatever, those kind of things that rhyme. And, and I was quite terrible at it. And we sat with around ten people for a very long time, maybe eight. And, and then one night I got really, 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 really busy. And I showed up, I had nothing to say. And so I, I think it was Acts chapter one that night. I thought, well... This is what I do during the week. I'll just talk about Acts chapter 1. And, like, it was uh, good. <laughs> like, it went really well. And everybody was like, oh, it was great. I didn't know this about that. And, and so, like, next week we just did Acts chapter 2. And suddenly I found my mojo, you know. And, and I didn't know it right away that that was, I didn't even understand that's what God was doing in me. But he was waking up this gift that I had buried a long time ago. That he had this dream and this purpose for me that I kind of understood like Moses, but I couldn't articulate it very well. I didn't understand it well. 
And quite honestly, it really wasn't the right timing for it. I wasn't very good at it. I didn't understand it. And I needed those, you know, two decades of, because I'm telling you, I was in fifth grade, I would literally stay up at night with the blankets over my head with a flashlight, reading like Second Kings. And, and I still remember the first truth that God ever showed to me when I was in fifth grade. I wrote it down. It was that, that, that the, I noticed this pattern that the kings, every time that the kings were followed by disaster and destruction, they would do this thing. They would, they would say that the kings, uh, this king served the Lord and was great, but he didn't do away with the high places, those little things that, we, you, know, that you tend to forget about. And, and this pattern would happen. Every time they didn't do away with the high places, disaster would follow. And I was in fifth grade, and that was what God had showed me. And I needed two decades, because you can't be a Bible teacher if you don't know anything about the Bible. Right? I mean, that sounds kind of you know, whatever, but I needed that time, that incubator time. And now, meanwhile, I've been in the music business, and I've you know, tried to do the bass player thing, and all those things for the last 20 years. But what God was doing was incubating me for a time such as this. And debatable as to whether I'm a good Bible teacher, but it's definitely my passion, and it's my gifting and it's my love. And I, you know, when I was a kid, I just thought it was my curiosity. And that's really what a good teacher is, is just really curious and ask yourself a lot of questions, a lot of times uncomfortable questions. Um, but you ask them, and that's what a teacher ultimately does, is you answer questions. And my gift was woken after I put it to rest, after I had buried it. And that's what happened with Moses. So he had buried his gift, his dreams, so to speak. And I guess that tonight, if, if we don't walk away with anything, is that if you feel like maybe your dream has been buried and is gone, um, understand that maybe it is, but only for now. That God has not forgotten you. That Romans eleven twenty nine is a, a verse that is um, important, and that it says this: that the gifts and the callings of God. Uh, I think the King James says that they're without repentance. It's Romans eleven twenty nine. You can write it down and go there later. Um, NIV, it says that they're irrevocable. And it means this, that God's not going to change his mind. If he had a plan for you, if he's got a dream, then he's not going to, he's not putting it away. Um, and a lot of times, I think that some of our dreams, along the way, our own dreams, so to speak, uh, they do die, because they're not God's dreams for us. There's a verse, uh, Psalm 37, 4, where you probably have heard it, where God will give us the desires of our heart. And growing up the way I did, I thought that meant that whatever I wanted, God would give me. Right? I desire it, God will give it to me. What I didn't understand was, A, that a loving father doesn't do that. Right? A loving father uh, gives their children gifts in, in you know, a way that blesses them but doesn't spoil them, doesn't ruin them. But what I didn't understand was that God gives us the desires of our heart, meaning that the desires in my heart are the ones that God is giving me. Those are the ones he will give to me, the ones that he has put in me. And oftentimes the desires that I have personally, if I'm really honest with myself, they're not God's desires, they're my desires. I can't think if I've ever met with a band, especially a young indie band, that didn't say that God had given them a vision or something along the lines of playing in front of thousands of people. Right? Every band. <laughs> Every man, and most of them, God told them that they were going to be famous so they could reach a lot of people. These are noble goals, right? But that's not God. God has plans for you, and for some people it is to be in front of a lot of people, but, but his ultimate plan is not about how rich or how famous or how 
much power you can obtain, but how much impact you can have in the lives of those around you. And I think that's what I learned this week when I was looking at my mom's life and where she had been. She wasn't famous. I mean, there was no, no fighting over who was going to get the nice jewelry because there wasn't any. You know, she just didn't have any of that stuff. I mean, the, the clothes weren't nice. The house isn't nice. And if that's the only legacy of a person that God looks at, then absolutely my mom failed. But I, I really believe that God put in her these dreams. If you look back on these letters that she wrote for mom and dad, all this stuff back in the day, it was, it was about, you know, this relationship and they were going to get married and they talked about, you know, the dad of work and she would stay home and they would raise kids. And, and that's the legacy that she had because that was the dream that God had put in her. And I'm a part of that in her, her dreams coming true. And to you, I would say, I know God put dreams in all of us. He puts callings and dreams in all of us that we're to, to pursue, that we're to, uh, to realize in our life. And, and if you feel like right now in this particular period that it's not coming to pass, that it's okay. That God hasn't forgotten. He's not changed his mind. And someday he's going to bring you to that point without even having a whole lot of effort or work to it. Honestly, maybe you don't even really know it's going to happen to you, but God, because he's sovereign, because he's powerful, and because he's quite honestly just a little bit smarter than we are, is going to bring it to pass in his time and in his place. Right? It says, uh, we'll, we'll go on here, because I want you guys to have time. It's like last time. The Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? By the way, he didn't say, is there a God or whatever, right? Because this was a pluralistic society, right? A pluralistic deity. There are all kinds of gods. Now, the thing and the audacity that you have to understand is that Pharaoh himself thought himself a god. In this culture, that he was a god. He was the all-knowing god of their universe, okay? Open up a can of whoop Pharaoh on him. If they screw around. There was no legislature. There was no debating. It was Pharaoh's way or the highway. So when Moses shows up and says, let my people go, Pharaoh's like, you got to be freaking kidding me. I'm Pharaoh. Who is the Lord? I don't know this God. That I should obey him. Let Israel go. I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. And then they said, the, uh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. When you look at that on the surface... It feels like maybe they're lying a little bit. <laughs> Pharaoh, is he, you know, is he lying to Pharaoh? I, it kind of bothered me a little bit, and I read some other commentaries. And one of the quickest ways to either get really enlightened or really confused is to read a lot of commentaries. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the common threads I saw was that this was what Moses was laying out there because what it was showing was the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh, these guys have been working hard for 400 years. He wouldn't even give them a three-day weekend. Right? That's how much of a jerk this guy was. So, Moses, and whether he was lying or not, I'm not really entirely sure. I mean, that's what the commentators say, that this was God showing how much of a jerk Pharaoh really was, revealing how hard his heart had become. But, with the, but the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, I love that they don't name the Pharaoh. I mean, they named the, the Eunice and whatever, the ladies that took care of Moses, right? These people that were not famous, they weren't powerful, but they were doing something in God's kingdom. It just shows what God really, how God really values our lives. It isn't with power and with fame 
but with obedience to the Lord. And these, I think it's chapter one where it names the two midwives that saved Moses' life. And they don't even take the time to name the Pharaoh. We have to figure out through history and watch in the history channel. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go out and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That is why they're crying out. Let's go and make sacrifice to our God. Make them work harder. Make the work harder for them so that they may keep working and pay no attention to the lies. Now, if you're Moses, okay, you've been to this rodeo before. The I, I'm going to deliver you guys, and then it blows up in his face, right, when he killed the Egyptian. And here's Moses again 40 years later, and it's blowing up in his face. Except this time, he's got faith. And, and I'm going to show you how, how I know that, because watch this. Then the slave drivers in the foreman, verse 10, went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foreman appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? And I love this, verse 15. Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh. It doesn't say that they went to the Lord, that they sought the face of the Lord. They went to Pharaoh. They didn't go to Moses. They went to Pharaoh to work this out. And just like us, right, a lot of times in our life, when if, if Egypt is, a, is a, a type of the world, which it is, and of our sinful ways that enslave us. We try to work it out within ourselves and not going to the Lord. And it says, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants have given no straw, yet we're told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. The Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let's go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You'll not be given any straw, yet you must produce the full quota of bricks. The Israelite foreman realized that they were in trouble because uh, when they were told you were to, not to reduce the number of bricks required of you each day, it was said, I'm not sure how true it is, but I found it fascinating that the number of bricks that the Israelites made, if they were to be stacked 10 feet tall and 5 feet wide, would stretch all the way from Portland, Oregon to New York City. That's how many bricks these people were, were putting out to build Pharaoh's kingdom. You look back and you see these, how did they make the pyramids? The Jews did it, okay? Go to verse 22. And Moses, okay, Moses, it's blowing up in his face, okay? And Moses, this time, goes to the Lord to fix the problem. The Israelites, they go to Pharaoh. Moses goes to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. God told Moses, Pharaoh's going to listen to you. Just say this and Pharaoh will listen. And Moses asking a legitimate question here. Like, God, I appreciate that, but he's not listening. If you've noticed or not, 
And what Moses was experiencing is what you and I are going to experience many, many times in our lives. And that is God working something out, not in the way that we thought it was going to happen, but it's still God at work. And that's important because we have this tendency to have this expectation like Moses to say, look, God, you're not, you're not letting him go at all. And I want you to know this. You know, when I was writing some of the blogs this summer as my mom was dying, I got a little bit of blowback from some of my brothers and sisters in Christ because I had some questions. You know, and, and maybe there should have been private, I don't know, but they felt like they felt legitimate <laughs> to me. You know, hey God, you're not doing this at all. But God was at work in that situation, just like he was at work in this situation. And what we don't know is that God in the grand scheme can take any situation, okay, that seems good, seems bad, whatever, and it affects each of you, you know, Ben, you and I can experience the same thing, and the lesson for you might not be the lesson for me, but they're both lessons from the Lord for us. In this case, Israel, the men of Israel, were being made to work ridiculously hard. But imagine the physical conditioning you would need if you were going to wander into the desert for 40 years. Imagine what kind of shape you'd need to be in for that to work. It seemed like the best way to do that is to either get on the Celebrity Fit Club... Or to make bricks without straw. <laughs> Something was going on here, naturally, practically, on a practical level, on a grand level. God was going to show to the people of Egypt in a loving way that he was the God of all the universe. That Pharaoh was not God. And when you look at the plagues that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, each one of them was saying, you believe in the, you know, that this Nile River is your God? Well, look, I'll show you, that's not God at all. You believe in the snakes. I mean, all these things. And God says, I'm, the, I'm it. So he was setting this thing up as a showdown between the God of their universe, Pharaoh, and the God of all the universe, Yahweh. God was taking this situation, and Moses had a legitimate question. And here's the thing, guys. I, really, I truly believe that God isn't scared of our questions. He doesn't get freaked out. doesn't get angry. He can take it. He's a big guy. And to me, it's a legitimate relationship with the Lord will say to him from time to time, I don't get it, God. I really don't. I understand. I don't understand why the, the career didn't take off like I thought. I don't understand why the job didn't come through. I, didn't under, I don't understand why this relationship is falling apart. It isn't what I thought you said at all. And the cool thing is, and we'll see it next week, is then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. He was building faith in Moses. Because Moses was learning that it wasn't about Moses at all, but it was about God. About what God would do. About what God would do through Moses. And while at the moment it seemed like it was falling apart, while at the moment it seemed like this is not working at all, God actually was very much at work. And I think that the word for you, the word for me is that for your dreams, for your hopes, for those things that, uh, I think it was William Carruth, Paul, this is going to make me sound like a total dweeb, but the, <laughs> a youth is uh, not a youth the day that the first of his dreams die. Um, as you get older, your dreams begin to get kind of squished by life and by pragmatism and by fear of failure. And, and they begin to get put into this place. 
And I think that that's the picture that Paul painted when he says that it's not me anymore, but Christ in me. I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live. And I don't know if you've been crucified before. I have not. But it seems to be quite painful. And I don't know what we thought it would look like when Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, but that means that it's painful. And it's agonizing to let your dreams die. To bury them in the sand, knowing that and believing that God will resurrect them in his way. Because let me tell you what, Moses' plan for freeing the people of Israel was great. He was going to go in there and kill people. That was a good plan. It wasn't God's plan. God had a bigger plan. And I mean the way that God did it in God's time and God's day. It was bigger than anything Paul would say he could think or imagine. If you're Moses, you're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Like, <laughs> frogs? Cool. I couldn't make it rain frogs. I was just going to go kill people. God's way is bigger and better. And it's our moment of faith is to say that I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live. Not me, but Christ in me. His dreams, His desires that become the desires of my heart. And we become okay with whatever those desires are. If all I ever have, and I, I, I think it's hysterical, our group, because, you know, two weeks ago, it was like packed, and tonight it's pretty full. And for a while, I would think, well, God, do I suck? I mean, nobody's coming. And, but it's God saying to me, am I okay with if, if only two people, if only me, probably if only me. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, am I okay with that? Can I be? And, and you know what the good news is? Is I could say, yeah, I am. For a while there, I was kind of panicked about it, but I, I can be peaceful now knowing that, that this dream is God's dream, not my dream. That what we're doing here is what God is doing, not what I'm doing. And, and if that could be a lesson for anybody, and I'm not there, I've not learned it all. I'm 37 and I'm not maybe dumber than a bag of hammers anymore, but I'm not much smarter than a sheep. You know what I mean? I'm still figuring this out. And if all my dream, God's dream in me is to do this, I, want, you know, I've, I can say this. I've been a Christian a very long time. I've never been more fulfilled Never been more at peace with what God is doing in our lives, my family, than right now. Because we go to bed tonight, we know that we've made a difference in the kingdom. Letting God work through us. There's no agenda, there's no politics, there's no power structure. We're just a piece of pipe, we're just a conduit of God's blessings and presence. That's what Moses was doing. He was at a point where it was, I'm just here to let God move through me. I did it my way. It didn't work. Forty years later, God resurrected the dream inside of Moses and he was going to make it happen on God's term and in God's time. And for me, it was just being a silly little Bible teacher. God's timing. God's plans. I don't know what your dream is, but I know this, that God has put one in you. And if you think about it and pray about it long enough, God will remind you of it. Maybe it was when you were a little kid. Maybe it was when you were a teenager. And you just crucify it. You bury it in the sand. And God will resurrect it inside of you. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your word. It really is a lamp unto our feet. It really does. If we love you, you said that you would make our paths straight. And Lord, I know that sometimes in my life I feel like I spent 37 years zigging and zagging. And, and as I've begun to learn to love and to trust you, that just like Proverbs, you said that you, you would make my path straight. And I feel like we're on a, a straight path here at Conduit. Um, Please be with our uh, 
our brothers and sisters in Haiti tonight. Those that are hungry, those that are crying out to you, we know that you've heard their cries, that you are concerned with them. Uh, in Columbia, Tennessee, in Africa, God, the, the people that we are serving and partnering with, please be with them tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, it's your turn. 8.15. What jumped out at you guys tonight? I know I, I apologize. I didn't mean to wax philosophical for so long. How about that? I firmly believe this, okay? The people of Israel were who they were, not because of how good they were, but because God made a promise to a guy named Abraham. Period. It was God's sovereignty. And I joked about it when we were teaching through Revelation, but it stuck with me. It was, you know, the bumper sticker theology. If it's The reason that this is important, okay, is that God's promise to Abraham is pure and it's true. And if it's, this is the bumper sticker part, if it's true for the Jew, then it's true for you, okay? And what I mean by that is this. <laughs> How about that? Oh, you don't think Paul and Jan will get that? Um, <laughs> but what's important about that is that from the moment they were in, 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 in thought about even, Satan became about destroying the people of Israel, the Jewish people. Whether it was th- you know, through Haman, through Pharaoh, uh, even earlier on through uh, the, the famine that was going to destroy the people, you know, J- Jacob and his family, and on up to Hitler. And it was all about if, if Satan could take out the people of Israel, he knew that the promise would come through them. If he could take out that people, then he could make God a liar. And if it isn't true for Israel, that's why I believe that it's so important. Israel isn't some mythological, it's not we've, the replacement theology, we've replaced Israel. I don't believe any of that. Because God made a promise to a guy named Abraham. And I think that's why. I think that if you look at their lives, it wasn't, they weren't very good. I mean, you're right, they, they're, they're barely out, you know. took, what was it, 40, that statement that I made, that I heard someone say, it took 40 years um, 40 days to get them out of Egypt and took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. I mean, it was just, they were a mess when they left that place. I I think that's it. And I think that he, God took them there not to create a a religion at that time or a a following as much as a people that he would then rescue, that then they would choose to follow him, not because they were commanded to. That would be my two cents. That's a great question, though, once we get to heaven. God, what were you thinking? <laughs> Have you read Second Kings? <laughs> I mean, do, you, do you know how stupid these people were? <laughs> I mean, I know they're all rich now, but anyway. Um, what else? My boss, William Morris, I think he was a super Jew, man. He was like Richard Rosenberg. I mean, seriously, like, I don't want to believe <laughs> Like, he was Bill Cosby's agent for like ever and had like way too much hair coming out of his ears. So, yeah. It was really, really, really rich. Anyway, and we couldn't order, we couldn't have, uh, at any staff meeting, you couldn't have ham or bacon, any pork product whatsoever. Um, and the great part was it was you got all the Jewish holidays off too. It was like working at the post office. <laughs> <laughs> what else from Exodus? Diet wrong. <laughs> We almost should go home on that. You know, I mean, that good. <laughs> Where else do you go from there? Anything else? Uh, 
Tuesday, you'll stand out today. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're hurting her. She had been stood up to grab, like something to clean it up, but as the rest of us were ah! <laughs> <laughs> Hey, <laughs> would you remember when we talked about that like two weeks ago, your spiritual gift? How do you react to like when we're like, <laughs> Ben. <laughs> Gift of administration and helps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I swear I did that at Father's house like three years ago, and I had a, I staged it. A kid walk in, and he tripped and falls onto the stairs with a glass of water. And I mean, it was like, <gasps> and it was hysterical. Like the guy jumps up immediately and goes for the mop, and it was like, you know, it's perfect. Anyway, just like that. And that wasn't staged. <laughs> Anything else? Stand out from Exodus five. <clears throat> it's funny I brought two sets of notes and I didn't use either of them <laughs> that's right we can just go do this again Exodus 5 all over again don't think I won't no I won't because we got like, a lot of chapters gosh there was one thing I wrote that I really that... Oh, I just say, I guess I'd written, well, anyway. Moses probably thought after 40 years, like this is something that I would have thought, right? 40 years of dying to himself in the desert, that it was done, that he could move on with his life now. Only to find out it was just a whole new level of dying to yourself. I mean, that's, <laughs> like, that's, I think, one of the biggest deceptions of ourselves. Right? We think, well, I'm gonna, once I get to this place, then I'm going to, you know. And it's like, no, no. The problems are just more expensive. Um. Okay. Nothing else? Tony? Nothing? You're awfully quiet tonight. <coughs> All right. You don't have to. I'm just saying. No pressure. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay. I was going to end with this. Um, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Paul writing to his protege. And I love it. Whenever you see, uh, read the end of the, of the epistles, right? Because when you're closing a letter, you're trying to go for the closure. Say the thing that's kind of most important you want him to remember, right? Here's what he says in 1 Timothy 6. This is his last statement to Timothy. He says, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. By the way, if you're sitting in this room tonight, you're rich. And I know you don't think you are. I read somewhere this week that the average family in like Chad, Africa, spends a dollar forty-six a week on food. Um, you can't even get uh, a, a happy meal for that, right? So, if you've got loose change in your uh, back seat of your car, if if you did the laundry and found a five spot that you didn't know you had. Uh, you're rich, okay, compared to the world. All right, I know you don't think that, but if you've got just a little bit extra, then you've got it, more than 90% of the world. It says, remind those who are rich, so I'm reminding you, reminding me, in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Funny, isn't it, to think that when it came out today, we've been in a recession since December 2007. 1.2 1.2 million jobs have been lost this year. The housing bubble has exploded. The dot-com bubble 10 years ago. Money is uncertain. 
but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. And I love this, to be rich in good deeds. When you're rich, you've got a lot of something, right? I don't have a lot of money, but I can be rich in good deeds. I have a lot of good deeds. I'm I'm loaded with good deeds. I roll deep. (laughs) (laughs) To be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless character or chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Funny what the world we live in again. Which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. That's what we're doing with conduit. None of us in this room have very much of anything. But we're, by the world standard, of course, we're rich. And we're doing what Paul said, which is just according to what we're able. And that's what we've done. And many of you, even if you're not partnering, partnering, how charismatic is that? Even if you're not giving, maybe that's not, I don't know, to this deal, in places where you're giving, where you're being, where you're, you know, you know, with uh, whether it's in church or, you know what I'm saying? We've talked about this before, but it's being rich in good deeds. It was like, that was the first time I thought, oh, that's Paul said it so good. I guess it's because it's in the Bible. But that's what we can do. Even if we don't have money, we can do good things. <coughs> and next week, we're going to be doing the uh, uh, feast for, fa- what are we calling it? Famine feast thing? Something. Feast for famine. That's good work. Let, let God <laughs> let God speak to you in those ways. But, um, if you, if you don't have a place where you've been able to be generous with those that are around you, um, we do that here. We give it away. I have a day job. I don't need your money. God is rich. He certainly doesn't need your money. Uh, But he chose this method for us to share. And so I, in the words of Timothy, command you to be good, be rich in good deeds. Um, His words, not mine. And uh, so praying if the Lord would have you to do something, you know, for us, we feed a kid for a month in Haiti for 15 bucks. You know, that's, I can't even do that in a day. Um, If you're, uh, looking to do some good deeds. Um, we're going to be, as part of Conduit, we are uh, technically a quote-unquote village here at Journey. And uh, if you're looking to do some good deeds once a month on a Sunday morning, we're loading up and we're headed out into the community to nursing homes and to uh, projects and to collect food and to uh, things like that. So email me if you're interested in being a part of that. Um, <coughs> If you're going to church on Sunday anyway, I love it. I go to church where the pastors ask us to not go to church one day a month. It's great. Uh, never heard of that before. I'm like, really? <laughs> um, but, you know, part of that, and I know at New River they're doing some stuff once a month. I don't know if it's the Lindsay or whatever. But there are things around us. I guess what I'm saying is if, if you're like me, where I was for so long, I wanted to do something, and I didn't know what to do, so I didn't do anything, that is an unacceptable response. And that's what I did for so many years, and I challenge you in the way that I've challenged myself to find something uh, to do. Be rich in good deeds. So 
That's your word for the night. We have uh, our fancy offering bucket with my wife, uh, <laughs> the usher, who brought me the diet right. So, uh, yeah, we'll do this again next week.